to open up your Bible to Ephesians, the first chapter. And I'm going to read it, and I'm going to pray. We're going to preach, get to work. Verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God to the saints. Have we, are you guys getting this yet? <laughs> For real. I've read this in its entirety, verses 1 through 14. This will be the sixth week in a row, three times per Sunday. Six times three is like 150. That's kind of funny. Come on, guys. Loosen up. It's a lot. I've been reading this over and over every single Sunday, reading the same portion of Scripture, trying to get through many, many verses, not exceeding in that, because I want this verse. As you meditate on this, as you realize and recognize what Paul, Pastor Paul, penned in the book of Ephesians to the church at Ephesus from a jail cell in Rome, as you get it, it will get you and it'll change everything. Paul had spent his whole life trying to change everything. His whole life, and he did way better than you'll ever do. And he met Jesus in the, in the pursuit of it. He did better than you'll ever, ever attain to, met Jesus, forgot all of that, and then spent his whole life writing about Jesus in order that we wouldn't try, 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 do, 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 be, 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 but instead we'd hear, 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 trust, 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 believe, 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 and then what you believe will determine how you behave. Paul learned that, couldn't stop talking about it, talked about it so much they cut his head off, we'll shut you up. So we're reading it, we're studying it, because it changes everything about the way you live your life about the way you navigate your pit stops and your battles. Anybody have battles and pit stops in life where things just get weird? Okay, like today? Today, yeah, me too, super weird. This girl stopped me in the hallway during the first service, asked me some questions, deep questions, important questions. And something that came out of my mouth stuck for once. What I told her, I said, here's the deal, your feelings, how you feel, is it's real, and your feelings are real, but they're not the boss. That's right. Your, your feelings are real, man. I feel my feelers sometimes more than others, and they're not the boss. The boss is what God has declared. The boss is the truth, what God has already laid out, the precepts, the concepts, the things that God has given to us in his word. That's the truth. That's the boss. I can feel this. I can feel that. All right, I don't feel. I don't feel God loves me. Really, what did he say? We said, for God so loved me that he sent his son. So not only did he say it, but he showed it. When did God love me? Well, Christ demonstrated his love for us in that while we were still, you tell me, <sighs> Christ died for us. And I don't always feel great. I don't feel good. Today's one of those days. Sorry. But my feelings aren't my boss. The word of God is my boss. What has God declared over you? So as we read Ephesians 1, 1 through 14, for the sixth Sunday in a row, the longest sentence in all of Greek literature the biggest mouthful, the biggest grammatical no-no for all you grammar police, just stop. <laughs> Paul's going to just keep talking, run on sentence, no periods, no exclamation points, no stopping, blah, blah, blah. Why? Because he's talking about what God has done. He can't stop. And you and I need to hear it. And we need to believe it. We need to trust in it. We need to receive it. So let's study it. Read it again. Verse 2 is where we just left off. I read to you one verse. It says this, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Again, please don't disassociate yourself from the author as you hear these words. Oh, you know where the blessings are? They're in Christ. Paul hated Christ. Paul sought blessings. Paul couldn't find any satisfaction in the life he was living until he met Jesus Christ. Now he wants you to have the same interaction with Jesus Christ. 
I'm serious. I can't tell you this, but I will anyways. I mean to get to verse 10 today, but I won't. It's not going to happen. I tried. I really did. But in verse 10, he alludes to the fact that all of this is wrapped up in one thing. Guess where? In Christ. Thank you. It's in him. Your happiness, your strength, your power, your perspective, your grumpiness, your frown that's been turned upside down. Everything about you is directly associated to the degree you are believing what Paul is declaring about Jesus Christ. And in his jail cell, he looks around and in verse 3 says, man, blessed be the God of our Father. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who, oh man, he's blessed us, oh man, with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places in Christ. Woohoo! Guard, can you loosen my shackles? No, okay. Keeps writing. Verse 4, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. Guard, can I get some food? No. Okay, I'll keep talking about the blessings we have in Jesus. And so often I get so discombobulated and distracted, disappointed, which leads to then disillusionment and wrong thinking. And your feelings are real, but they're not the boss. He says this in verse 5. Having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself according to the good pleasure of his will. Remind yourself also that when Paul's saying this, he's writing specifically and in general, but specifically to Gentiles in Ephesus. For a Jew to tell a Gentile that they are now adopted in, grafted, predestined, allowed and included into everything that he was born into is mind-blower. Matter of fact, you as a Jew would get in super big trouble for saying stuff like this. Read Acts chapter 15. All the Jews who were saying stuff like this got in big trouble. Got a letter from Jerusalem. What'd you guys do? What'd you guys say? You better get here. And they jammed down to Jerusalem. That's big old debacle, this big old fight. Acts 15. About the gospel, about what Jesus had done. Paul shows up. Peter shows up. Timothy shows up. They all show up there and they begin to tell the ruling Jews in Jerusalem. Acts 15. They say, look, everywhere we go, it's crazy. I'm serious. Listen, everywhere we go, we tell people about Jesus, and they're baptized in the Holy Spirit. Their lives are changed. They're saved. They're baptized in water, and a church is born, and miracles happen, and people get saved. It's crazy. Everywhere you go? Yeah, everywhere we go. We just keep doing it. What do you want us to do? And all the Jews, the good Christian Jews are like, well, these are, this is happening to Gentiles? Yeah, yeah, Gentiles. Every, every, they hear the God. It's happening? Yeah, it's happening. It's happening. Okay. They celebrate it then, and they stamp it and say, this is legit. Everyone say, it's legit. All right, good, 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 good. (sighs) Paul knows it's legit, so legit, it's too legit to quit. Verse 6, he says this. Why? Well, to the praise of the glory of his grace by which he made us accepted in the beloved. Paul is tripping on this. This glorifies God and God alone. This makes him look good when he adopts Jews. This makes him look good when he adopts Gentiles. This makes him look good when he covers your sins and my mistakes. God's grace demands worship towards him. Okay? Your perfect work, your 12 steps accomplished, your efforts, your offering does not, I'm serious, Follow with me. It does not necessarily bring him praise. It it oftentimes brings us praise. When I do good, I feel good. Anybody with me? (sighs) When I do bad, I feel bad. Anybody with me? Who likes that wave? Who likes that roller coaster? My feelings are real, but they're not the boss. 
My forgiveness is established in Christ's offering and what he's done. When you and I try and offer to God anything in and of ourselves, it's similar to somebody with a Bic lighter teaming up with the sun in space saying, hey, need a hand heating the world? We got this, right? And you're like, yeah, feel that? Ow, ow, you know, you do nothing. Verse 7, in him, where? In him. We have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of grace of sins according to the riches of his grace, which he made to abound toward us in all wisdom and prudence, having made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in himself. That in the dispensation, this is that life change verse we're not going to get to today. Please get to it later on your own. That in the dispensation of the fullness of the times, that means there's order, there's timing, there's planning, there's perspective. God's in control. That's good. He might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth in him. Just so you know something. Everything in heaven, I'm getting ahead of myself now, but I don't care. Everything in heaven is about Jesus. Say, duh. Duh, okay. Duh. Everything in heaven, everything, you know that. You guys are Christians. This is the 11 a.m. service. You guys got this. Everything in heaven's about Jesus. Did you know that everything on earth is about Jesus too? What? What? I thought it was about Rubio. I thought it was about Clinton. I thought it was about gas prices below $2. I thought it was about the sun that don't shine here in Newport. I thought it was, listen. Everything in heaven is about Jesus. Yeah, stoked. Everything on earth is about Jesus too. I don't feel it that way. I don't believe it that way. It doesn't matter. It doesn't change it. When you realize it though, hear it, trust it, believe it. When you realize it, all of heaven, all of earth, in the fullness of the dispensation of times, we're gathered together in him. It will alleviate you from the fear, from the war, from the, 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 the tyranny, from the stress, from the comparison game, from all of the things, the battles for peace and happiness and joy that you're going after right now on earth when you find, I'm getting ahead of myself, but that's fine. When you find out that it's all in Jesus, it brings great relevance then to everything you're dealing with right now. Anybody have a dog? Got to walk that dog, okay? Walk that dog in Jesus' name, okay? Got bills to pay? Hey, pay those bills in Jesus' name. You got a grass to mow, a, a mouth to feed, car to wash, chores to do, a life to live? Yes. Okay, don't wait to get to heaven for everything to be about Jesus. You're going to blow it. Okay, you're going to get to be like, why? It's all about Jesus. What was I doing? And all of heaven's going to be like, we don't know. <laughs> we tried to get your attention. <laughs> you got to live your life. You're going to do it. You're going to fish the ocean. You're going to crunch numbers, you're going to paint houses, you're going to do what you do. Awesome. Do it with, for, and to Jesus. Okay? Changes everything. Changes everything. Drink your coffee fully leaded to Jesus' name and his glory. <laughs> Drink your decaf if you have to, to the glory of Jesus. Do it, okay? Earl Grey, green tea, whatever your deal is. Do it for Jesus. It changes everything. Well, verse 10, that's a life change moment right there. Hopefully your life got changed. Verse 11, keep reading, then we're gonna pray. In him, where? Wow, in him we have also obtained an inheritance being predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will that we who first trusted, I hope you have, 
trusted Christ should be to the praise of his glory. In him you also trusted after you heard, that's today, the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also having believed, that's your choice, that you were sealed. You believe, you get sealed. We'll talk about that in the upcoming weeks with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of his glory. Father, in Jesus' name now, as we study your word at this service, we pray like Paul received, that he would have his mind blown, his spirit renewed, his spirit regenerated, that Jesus would not be his foe, but his friend. That when Paul met Jesus, he then got intimate with Jesus, learned about Jesus, and spent his life telling others about Jesus. I pray your mercy upon this gathering here today, Lord, that you would equip me to teach and to share this portion of Scripture, Lord, that it would be alive, that it would be applicable, and that lives would change today. Holy Spirit, be here. Move amongst us. Change lives. Resurrect souls. Break chains. Forgive sins. Do what you do. May we not, may there not be one person here leave the same. May we leave different, different. May there be different. May no one go back to their car, back to their home, back to their relationship, the same they came. But instead, may we be strengthened. May we be changed according to your great riches. You have enough. You're not stingy and you're not broke. Forgive us for thinking you are. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. Uh, you're here seeking God. Most of you know him. Some of you are meeting him today. But if you know him, if he's yours, you're so different than the rest of the world. Have you figured that out, man? You are freaks. Totally different. Everything that you hear and think about and see and experience is experienced through a heavenly perspective. And things happen to you and you process it through heavenly eyes. Things are given to you and you process it through a heavenly mind. You see things differently because you're a spiritual being having a short human experience. And you know it. You're not making stuff up trying to figure out where the world came from or where the world's going or who we are from the goo to the zoo to you. You're not doing that. Instead, you're like, no, 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 no. There's a book. There's a rule book, okay? We know the rules. It's actually pretty sweet. When you play the game by the rules, like things change and you see things and you get to explore things. And you guys and I, we get the hope that the world is desperately looking for. It's entirely different once we meet Jesus Christ. Our author, Pastor Paul, also had experienced an encounter with Jesus Christ that changed everything, even the way he was persecuted, the way he was received, the way he was rejected, the way he was elevated, the way he was put down. Man, none of it mattered because he was going to heaven when he died. And you couldn't stop that cat. You couldn't slow him down. He had learned in all states to be content. I got a lot, sweet. I don't have very much, sweet. I don't know what I'm doing, sweet. I know exactly what I'm doing, sweet. He goes on to conclude that portion of Scripture, Matthew, or of Philippians 4. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And he vamps on that theme in chapter 1 of Ephesians to the church at Ephesus saying, guys, gals, church, listen. If you're in Christ, you're a new creation. So you're new. You're doing things different. Life stays the same. Gases go up. Gas prices go down. Political elections come. Political elections go. All kinds of things just come. You, though, are changed. You, though, are different. And I would just ask you this question. Has your life changed? Just go there with me. Has, in your interaction with Jesus, have you become different now than you were prior? Okay, that's a miracle, by the way, just so you know. Straight up miracle, bonafide, stamp it, seal it, secure it. 
God's changed you and he's given to you a new understanding. Okay, this book was written by Paul, who was a Jew who tried his hardest to accomplish his best and found himself meeting Jesus. And it, 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 it changed everything. I just love the fact that we get a receive from Paul, who's more successful than we'll ever be. And instead of saying, do what I did in my successes, he says, no, all my successes, I put it behind me. I don't even look at them anymore. For the joy and the glory and the reward of seeking and knowing Jesus. That is what life is all about. That's where all things in heaven, all things on earth culminate and come together. Did you know that when Paul met Jesus, he actually lost everything? Lost his job? Lost all his friends? Did you know that he lost his family? Okay? Nowhere in the New Testament at all do we see him have a family. And to be one of the Septuagint, to be one of the Sanhedrin, not the Septuagint, to be part of the Sanhedrin and Pharisaical line, you had to have a wife and a family. That all went away when he found Jesus. Eventually, he would lose his life. But in finding Jesus, he found so much more. As a matter of fact, he details it in the first 14 verses. He says that in Christ, he'd become a saint. That in Christ, God declared him faithful. That in Christ, he had received grace. And in Christ, he had experienced peace. In Christ, he found himself blessed. In Christ, a Jew and a Gentile alike find themselves chosen. In Christ, he finds himself finally holy and presented as blameless. In Christ, and predestined and adopted. And sons in Christ, and he finds himself redeemed, verse 7, in Christ forgiven from his sins in Christ. He also finds himself receiving the knowledge of God in heavenly places in Christ, sealed in Christ with an inheritance in Christ. By the way, the inheritance, we'll get there, verse 11, is not from Christ, it's in Christ. Okay, just trip out on that in your small groups later. And it's all guaranteed in Christ. What do you guys think the Greek word for guarantee means? Want to be theologians? It means guarantee. Okay, just so you know. <laughs> it means guarantee. It's guaranteed. It's a done deal in Christ. This was all made possible by Jesus in his work on the cross because the critic, uh, the, uh, the analysis and paralysis person here today, or the budgeter, or the numbers person, would ask the question, well, wait, 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 wait. How, how did, who funds this whole thing? How's this going to go down? Who's building this ship? Who's paying the bills? It's in Christ. And look at verse 7. I want you to see specifically how this happened. This is the verse we ended on last week. I'm going to do my best to get more out of it this week. It says, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. In verse 7, he kind of spills the beans a little and says, these are all the things we have because he did it for us. Because he paid the bills for us. It's in him we have redemption through his blood. Now, this idea of redemption means to be purchased back from. That is, you've been taken out of the game. You're no longer a participant in God's economy. And yet he comes along and he says, I'll take you, 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 I'll take you. And he redeems those. All, the Bible says it this way. All whosoever would come to him. I'll take you, I'll take you, I'll take you, I'll take you, I'll take you. And you shake your head. No, no, no. He says, yeah, I'll take you. And you have, you have no, no, no. Watch this, guys. I'll take you. <laughs> There's nothing you can do about it. He's going to get you, and he redeems you from captivity and from bondage. Check this out. This idea of redemption is throughout the entire scriptures, beginning in Genesis chapter 3. Our first grandparents, great, 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 keep going a little bit more, greats, great, great, maybe 10, 15 more, great. Adam and Eve, our great grandparents, Adam and Eve found themselves in the garden with God in holiness, in righteousness, in innocence, seduced tricked, lied to, and sinning. 
They were holy by nature. You are not, okay? You are actually sinful by nature and sinful by choice. When you are born, you're actually born sinful, and then you choose to sin by therefore proving the fact that you're sinful. Adam and Eve were born righteous, yet they were seduced by the enemy. They were tricked into thinking that God wasn't good, God wasn't righteous, and so they went outside of the lines. You ever remember coloring when you were a kid? They colored outside the lines, and they went out of bounds and sinned against God because they were seduced. My kids always ask me, why did Adam and Eve do that? I said, well, they went to the dark side. They were seduced. Their next question is, is why did Darth Vader go to the Darth, dark side? I'm like, well, he was seduced also, man. Or, you know, it's the whole thing. It's the whole picture here. Here's the point. Genesis chapter 3, God says, oh, ooh, ah, out of bounds? Okay, okay. Well, I'm a good God, and you have proven yourself to be uh, disobedient kids. And because I'm good, I'm going to handle it. Consequences to show my love, tough love. You guys got to get out of the garden, okay? You got to get out of the garden. You got to got to go figure it out. Not only going to figure it out, but there's going to be thorns on roses. There's going to be sweat on your brow when you work. There's going to be pain in childbirth. I'm not sure if that even happens. Is, there, is it painful? Is he right? <laughs> Sorry, he's right. Here's what's going to happen. But in that, in that interjection, Genesis three he says, "But here's the deal, Eve. You're going to have a kid." There's going to be seed from you. There's going to be your lineage. And that seed is going to bruise and crush, it says exactly, crush the head of the serpent. The serpent's going to bruise his seed. Here it is right here. I will put enmity between you and the woman. This is God's cursing. This is what happened after sin. And between your seed and her seed, he's talking to the snake, he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. This is the Proto-Evangelium, the first mention. Proto means first. Evangelium means gospel. The first mention of the gospel in the scriptures where God says, hey, you're out, you're done, but redemption's coming. One day, not too long from now, two, three, four, five, six thousand years later, Jesus Christ would come and redeem us from our sin, from being seduced into doing stupid stuff. Have you ever been seduced by sin to do stupid stuff? <laughs> Bookworthy. Don't write it down. It's gross. We've all been seduced. We've done dumb stuff. He says, yeah, I'm going to redeem that. This idea of redemption, he speaks of it here in verse 7. That's what I'm talking about here. We also see it in Exodus chapters 11 and 12. Remember the children of Israel? Not Adam and Eve, but the children of Israel living in Egypt. And they were there in captivity, and Pharaoh wouldn't let them go. So Moses went to Pharaoh, Mo and Pharaoh. They're having this convo. He says, let my people go. And he says, no, I won't let your people go. Uh-huh. Let my people go. Yeah, 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 yeah. Remember? Camp? Been there? Okay, sorry. I didn't do that first service. I won't do it third service. You guys got it. Anyways, anyways. Let my people go. And he says no. And so a series of 10 plagues happens. You guys heard the story. And on the 10th and final plague, Moses goes to Pharaoh and says, let my people go. He says no. He says, okay. 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 You're going to regret that. And he goes back. And God then tells Mo. Have everyone in Israel, everyone in Egypt, my kids, have every one of them take a lamb into their house and let them keep that lamb in their house for 14 days. You know that having a lamb in your house, a baby lamb, for 14 days, you would grow close to it. You might name it. What would you name your lamb? Lammy, Lambo, lamb chops, yes. You would name it. And then on the 14th day, you would take that lamb and you would cut its throat. And you would take a bowl and you would catch the blood. And you take that blood, you take a hyssop branch, and you dip it in there on the hyssop branch, and you put some on the doorpost of the door, and you put some on the threshold, and you put some on the cross beam at the top here, kind of just making a picture of a, a cross, foreshadowing the redemption that Christ would bring through his blood. And then check this out, that very night, every house that had faith to trust in God, that had blood shed in its doorway, that night the death angel would pass over all of Egypt. That's why they call it the Passover festival. 
And this death angel would pass over and he would see the homes that had blood already shed, a sacrifice already made. Death had already paid for that home by faith. And there would be no other death in that home. But the houses in Egypt that didn't have faith, that didn't have blood shed by an innocent lamb, sacrificially would experience their own death. And the firstborn son would be taken in great anguish and pain and suffering because there wasn't redemption in that home. When those homes had a blood of a lamb spilled, Jesus was able to redeem them out because of the sacrifice, foreshadowing the redemption that Christ would offer to you and to I, who would say, I believe in not the blood of a lamb in Egypt, but I believe in the blood of the lamb slain before the foundation of the world. I believe in that picture, that all of these pictures, Genesis 3, Exodus 11, all throughout the scriptures, you can go into Isaiah 53 where it talks about this one who would be so beaten so badly in his stripes upon his back, and we would find our healing from his stripes, all speak of this idea of redemption. Look at verse 7 again with me. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of his grace. I need you to get this. It's very important. Because most of you in here respect Jesus. Okay, Join the rest of the world. Good job. But not all of the world believes in the blood of Jesus. They believe in his teachings. He was above the curve. He was ahead of the game. He was a prophet, whatever. Okay? He doesn't say any of those things about himself. He says about himself, I'm the lamb come to save the world. I am the way, the truth, and the life. There's no one that comes to the Father except through me. That's what he says about himself. And it's not through his wisdom that we get saved. It's not through his power that we get saved. It is through his sacrifice, through his blood that was shed, that redemption is offered, that rescue has been given. And if you hear it, you trust it, believe it, he seals it, it's yours to experience forever. Paul here had tried to rescue himself. Paul here had tried to do it himself, and when he met Jesus, he lost everything and found all these riches through the blood. I say that to say this. How is your relationship, your working relationship with the blood? It's what changes everything. You may be very interested in the person of Jesus and learning what he had to say, walking in the power that he had to offer. And you may find yourself, if you're not careful then, becoming a Pharisee of Pharisees, a doer of doers, trying harder, being better, comparing yourself to others, feeling good when you do good, feeling bad when you do bad. And he would say to you, those who are doing great and those of you who are failing hard, it's the blood. It's the blood. It's the blood that caused that angel to pass over and to say, Death has already been experienced. Death has already been experienced. Death has already been experienced. We take communion here at every one of our services all year long, three, sun, three times per Sunday and even more at times. Good Friday's coming up in about 33 days. No one's counting. We're going to take communion that night also. You get the opportunity to celebrate, to come to the table. It's not something we do religiously or haphazardly. When you come to the table, there's juice that we bought from J.C. Market. It's a grape juice blend of cranberry juice and some other stuff. And some matzo rolls, we even got some gluten-free stuff. Now, you seen the gluten-free stuff? How cool. And when you come to the table, it's a picture of what Christ has done. That's the base point. That's the life change moment. It's in him we have redemption. This coming from the Jew of all Jews. And my question to you is, how's your relationship with the blood? In my Bible here, I've got a picture of my kids. I'll show it to you. It's pretty cool. You see? See him over there? Look at that. You can get, oh, do it. Oh, yeah, it's better, better. Yeah, see that? See? You guys can't even see them, can you? Anyways. Funny thing is, that's not really my kids. 
It's just a picture of my kids. My kids are at home. They were at the first service. If my kids were really in my Bible, I'd probably go to jail. It's like weird. It's just a picture. So too, when we take communion, I had a girl last Sunday, last Sunday night asked me about communion. What do we do? What, why? I don't get it. Why are we doing this? I said, oh, it's just a picture. Because a picture's worth a thousand words. If a picture helps us get to where we need to be. When I'm traveling or when I just want to know what my kids look like because I forgot, which is rare. But I, oh, I just read, oh, it helps me to engage. And when you take that cup, you take that cracker that we bought at JC Market, okay, it helps you to connect and to commune closely to your Savior. Lest you become a religious person who is trying to prove something to him and walk valiantly and victoriously, memorize scripture and stow it away and know it. Those are all good things. But like Paul, who came to a conclusion, who was smarter than you'll ever be, better than you'll ever attempt to be, and he said, <laughs> you want to know, know where it's good? It's in his blood. It's, in, it's, what he, it's what he did. It's what he did. When Jesus hung on the cross, blood pouring out of his hands, blood pouring down his face, blood pouring out of his feet onto the ground, he cried out and said the very first thing out of his mouth, Father, forgive them. Not help them, not strengthen them, not be with them. Okay? Forgive them. That's what needs to happen. Because when forgiveness happens and you believe it, belief then determines your behavior. And then everything works out good and you become a scripture memorization person. You become a servant. You become holy. You become righteous. How's your relationship with the blood? You get an opportunity today, just in a few moments, to take communion. <sighs> to make all things about him. Look at verse 7 again. He says, in him we have redemption. Ah, that word. Through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. According to the riches of his grace. So many of us, our relationship with God in the blood is based not on his riches of his grace, but our riches of our worth. How many of you guys love taking communion and singing songs when you are just killing it spiritually? Like you haven't been yelling at your kids you know, you've been driving within the speed limit, at least, you know, according to your own interpretation. Nobody knows about your stuff. You're just, man, I just feel so squeaky clean. And all of a sudden, then you just know God loves you because you're lovable. Like that one moment you were lovable. Remember that one moment? He says this. This is according to the riches of his grace. It's not according to the riches of your worth, self-worth. There are so many people that use the thermometer in our approach of how I'm going to ask God for a favor, or how I'm going to worship him, or how I'm going to assume he's looking at me. Let me just check my spiritual temperature. You know, it's broken. You know? Oh, no, call somebody, call a priest, whatever. You know, Don't check your temperature as it regards and pertains to God's wealth, riches, bounty, benevolence, and kindness and generosity. Don't check your temperature. It's according to his riches. This will change everything. Again, it's that relationship like my kids have with me, their dad. They don't often ask about what we have in our bank account or don't have. They don't ask about the car and the gas and all this stuff. They just trust me as their dad to provide for their needs. Matter of fact, uh, just recently I was in Seattle. I came home. My kids had all these great ideas. When I go home, my kids grow. They actually get bigger. They get smarter. They get stronger. They know three languages now. I don't know how that happened. And my son is informing me the day after I got home. He's like, Dad, we're going to get some fire-bellied toad frogs. I was like, I had just woke up. I was like, whoa, I like the name of those guys. They sound cool. We should get some. And, you know, he's telling me about him. We're going to get him here. And we got this thing. And they watched a video on something. And they were excited about it. He says, yeah, here's how we're going to do it. Me and Nemo, we got $2. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, 
dang, that's a lot of money. <laughs> okay, two bucks, that's good. And they're like, you know, can we go take the cans back to the store? I'm like, that, that'll make it like $3, sure, you know. And their mindset is this. Now that we have $2, we're saving up for this $200 contraption we're going to have to get one day. I understand. And with that $2, you know what they want to do immediately? Go to the dollar store and get bubbles. <laughs> While we're waiting first to get more money, let's go. Can we go to the dollar store? I'm like, no, you're not kidding. But the bottom line is, guess what? They're going to get the terrarium. They're going to get the thing. It's going to happen one day or one way or another. Their $2 isn't going to be what makes it happen, though. Okay? It's going to be their dad. Okay? It's going to be their dad that makes it happen. And I'm going to come in with the riches of my grace and wealth because I love the name of those toads. They sound cool. I want those in my house. <sighs> and here Paul in prison, writing to his church in Ephesus, says, guys, don't, don't look at your bank account. Don't blow it. Okay? You look at Jesus' bank account. Oh, how often do I check it? Check it off. See what Jesus, go to the table often. Remember, 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 rejoice, rejoice, rejoice. In our weakest moment, Christ died for us. His greatest deed fulfilled your greatest need. You don't need a better marriage. You don't need more money. You don't need more health. I'm serious, okay? You don't need these things around us. When Jesus walked on the earth, he didn't walk according to the needs around him. As a matter of fact, the way I read the Bible, when Jesus saw people in need materially, almost unwillingly at times did he heal, in my opinion. Almost unwillingly, I'll do it because you're asking and you're in, in I understand, I'll, I'll meet your needs. I, I will because I love you, but this isn't really what you need. You're a temporal human person and you're going to have an eternal spiritual experience and what you really need is you need forgiveness and you need to be connected and you need to be reunited because even Lazarus who was raised from the dead how many people thought that was really cool raised from the dead everyone thought that was cool except Lazarus he's like what <laughs> I was having a good time Lazarus is raised from the dead did you know that after Lazarus was raised from the dead he died again people think it's such a miracle well he just died you know what the miracle is is that the death angel passes over you now and says, forgiven. There's been blood shed. I don't need to require your blood anymore. Crazy. You trust my son? You believe my son? That's your greatest need. That's his greatest deed. When Jesus said to his disciples, go, you'll do greater works than me. How many of you guys freak out? You're like, crud. I just don't see that in my life. I believe I believe what he was saying and inferring to is that those who would go after him would be able to freely proclaim, as he instructed them, the gospel, the good news. You'll do greater things. What's greater than walking on water, walking in heaven? Hello? It's all in Christ. And Paul here says, man, it's according to his riches. It's according to his goodness. As a matter of fact, he just can't stop talking about it. Verse 8, he goes on, he says, which he made, these, this riches, this redemption, this forgiveness, this blood, which he made, verse 8, to abound toward us in all wisdom and prudence. He's looking for flowery adjectives to describe and color in for us. It's abounding. It's lavishing. How many of you guys think that's how God looks at you when you show up in the morning with your little plate? Uh, just a little bit. And all of a sudden, he just dump trucks you. Just, we don't. We check our temperature. Oh, man, I blew it so hard yesterday. I should probably just do this day solo. You know, I'm, not, I'm just going to, 
I'll, I'll come back with you in a little bit, God. I got to figure this out. What? Are you kidding? No, you run to him and let him fill you once again. He lavished and made to abound. The Bible says in Romans chapter 5, we might have it here, that where grace, where sin abounds, the law entered, offense might abound, but where sin abounded, grace abounded much more. Again, Pastor Paul talking about our plight, our fight, this battle of sin. When we blow it, God blesses more. What? We're learning this slow because we don't believe it often. When you blow it bad, God blesses more. Why? Because the blessings will outweigh the bad, and the blessings will teach you to deny ungodliness. The blessings will teach you to say no to sin. The kindness of God will lead you to repentance and fellowship with him every single time. Because light is stronger than darkness. Did you know that? Did you know that darkness actually doesn't exist? You guys know that, right? You figured that out. You've heard that before. It actually it doesn't exist. Light can be measured. There's actually real light particles. Light is actually a force. It's actually a fuel. It's actually a power. Darkness is non-existent. Darkness is only the absence of light. And so when light shows up, darkness, that's not even real. Darkness isn't real. <laughs> it just, light wins. Light wins. And light, the source of light is our God, our Savior, our King. He lavishes this. Reminds me when I was living in Ashland in college, and uh, I had a roommate there. His name was Kevin, Kevin Burke, uh, B-E-R-G-T. Kevin and I were good friends. I just loved Kevin. He's such a humble dude. Uh, He moved from Alaska where his dad lived, and his mom was in San Diego where she lived. And we just got to love each other, me and Kevin. I still love him. I did his wedding um, a few years back, and he lives in Alaska now. He's practicing law up there, and hopefully I never have to use him in his professional services kind of funny. Anyways, and he's up there, and, and, and we lived together, and his mom came to visit, Judy. Judy Burke was her name, and she came to visit, and when she poked her head in the door, you ever been to college and your parents come to visit? It's like the scariest thing in the world. You like clean everything up, you throw everything out, and you stand there and smile like, this is how it always is. You know. Anyways, my parents came to visit, and anyways, she came to visit, and she poked her head, and she's like, oh, yeah, kind of nice, and she kind of, you know, she, let's go shopping, you know, and so I remember we went right to Albertsons, and, and uh, Kevin and I and Judy, because Albertsons, and we walked in, and I'm just kind of the, you know, tag-along guy, roommate guy, and Kevin hands me my own cart. I said, well, this is your mom. I'm just here to, like, mental support. You were here with your mom, you know? And he said, no, we're, we're going to need two carts, bro. We began to go down the aisles, and we filled the carts to overflowing all kinds of things I'd never even seen that were food. Like, we'd had Top Ramen for two years straight, and all of a sudden, there was, like, food in our carts, and we got to take that home. $800 worth of food. I still remember the day. We got in the car and then went to Walmart, okay? Walmart, same thing. Walked in. Kevin gives me a wink, says, here's your cart. We're going to need it. Begin to throw lamps and rugs and microwaves and toasters and rice cookers and dehydrators. I didn't even know you could dehydrate food. All this cool stuff and all of these things just lavished us. About a week later, a semi-truck pulls up to our house, a semi-truck, 18-wheeler, like they park, put the cones out, cops show up, we get in trouble, these guys unloaded the back end of this truck because Judy Burke was married to Norm Kreiss, K-R-E-I-S-S, and he was in charge of and owned Kreiss Furniture, this high-end furniture company. And so she said, oh, this is such a nice apartment you have. <laughs> she knew it needed an upgrade, and so she called her boys, and they trucked up a truck in the back end of this truck. They had to take the windows out of our apartment to load in this furniture, totally remade our little ghetto apartment. I'll just never forget her generosity, lavishing us. And I don't know how you look at God, portion control, (laughs) budget master. When he gave manna to the children of Israel, said, go, every day, get some fresh manna. Do you think there was ever manna that they couldn't contain? 
Do you think there was ever manna everywhere? Oh, too much manna. It's just going to just disappear, disappear. I don't know, God. You think he ever, ah, I'm wasting. God's grace and his riches are bottomless. Free refills. More and more. Spill some everywhere. Oops. Free refills. Waste some free refills because it glorifies him and it changes you and it convinces you of his goodness. To this day, I look at Judy Christ, Judy Burke. I look at her. I'm friends with her on Facebook and I just see her as the most kind and generous and benevolent person I've ever experienced, at least in that portion of my life. That's how she goes down in my memory. God does the same for you. Look at verse eight again. Which he made to abound toward us in all wisdom and prudence. By the way, when God's doing this, He's doing it with wisdom and prudence. That is, he knows what it's going to accomplish. When his blood is spilled for you, when his forgiveness is metered out to the world, he knows by his wisdom and prudence, that is his understanding, this is going to work. This is going to make changes in lives. This is going to cover the sins of the whole world, First John tells you and tells me. God knows what he's doing with his son, and he knows how to pour it out rich. He's like that grandpa that takes you to the ice cream shop and orders you six scoops of ice cream. You're like, whoa, too much, too much. That's how God is with you. He wants to. Do you believe that? I do when I get up early, read my scriptures, walk down the stairs and smile at my children. Hello, children. It's another beautiful day. Let's all say our prayers together. And I, and I start my day right, and I do things good. Then I often feel that God's going to be good to me. Okay, that's religion. Lose the religion. Get the relationship. God says, no, no, you're, you actually, actually, you need to be redeemed. Straight up. You're seduced. You're, you're messed up. You, you blow it. You actually don't have enough to go to Albertsons. You don't have enough to go to Walmart. You don't have enough to get bottomless fries at Red Robin. You don't have enough to do it on your own. I actually need to do everything for you. And when you humble yourself and crown him as king and say, okay, 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 we'll put some blood on the doorposts of our house. We'll do that. We'll trust in you. Boom, you honor him. As a matter of fact, look at verse 9. He says, that this has been lavished and abounded toward us in all wisdom. Verse 9, having made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in himself. I just love this fact. Paul here is saying this used to be a mystery in that we didn't all know it, but now he's revealed it to us. He showed us the way, he showed us the truth, and showed us the life, lavished it upon us, and revealed us how to get there. Let me use this illustration. If I were God in heaven, I wouldn't make a way for you to get there. Because if you make a way for you to get there, guess what's going to happen? You're going to come in. And when you guys come into heaven, you mess things up. If I was in heaven, the angels, I'd be, whoa, whoa, whoa. Dude, put a lock on the door. You tell them the way in, they're going to show up. You ever change your address, you know, or change your phone number trying to get away from somebody, you know what I'm saying? God's like, no, no. This is heaven. And I'm not so surprised that there's only one way into heaven. I'm, I'm surprised that there's any way at all and that he told us about it. People get mad. Oh, one way into heaven. Oh, you think you're so righteous. Only one way. You think there's only one way. It's like, well, what's your plan? Well, I think there should be 17 ways. I think, I think all ways should go. All ways? Really? Have you thought that through? You just think all. No, no. I think there shouldn't be any way in, okay, because I see you guys. I, you're, you're friends with me on Facebook. I see there shouldn't be a way for you to get there, right? I'm not on the committee, 
God says, okay, not, there, there can't be many ways. I think there shouldn't be any way. God says, no, there's going to be one way. Verse 9, here's where I'm getting this from. Having made known to us the mystery of his will, he has shown us there's a way. There's a truth and there's a life. And no one gets there except through Jesus. But all whosoever would try and get there through Jesus would be welcomed in. Come on in. Come on in. As many as we can fit. 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 Every single person who hears it and believes it, trusts it and receives it, sealed. Enter. Let's go. Because he's that good. Because he's that great. It's, to the, it's his good pleasure to invite you into the kingdom of God. Do you realize that? It's the, it's the good news. It's not the mediocre news. It's not the okay news. It's not the marginal news. It's the good news. And as I've always said, it's not advice. Here's how you should or might be able to navigate life. No, no. Here's what he's done. Believe it. Receive it. It's over. It's his good pleasure to invite you in, to include you. <sighs> Reminds me of the guy who was experiencing a flood in his neighborhood. And so they evacuated his neighborhood and said, there's floods coming, bud. You got to go. And he said, no, no, I'm going to trust in God. I'm praying for a miracle. I'll figure it out. So they take off. Waters rise, and he goes up to his upper windows, and the boat comes along. Bro, waters are rising. Floods are coming. Get in the boat. We're here to rescue. He's like, no, no, no. I'm going to trust in the Lord. I'm praying for him to deliver me. Waters rise. He goes to the rooftop. Helicopter comes, drops the ladder. Get on the ladder. We're here to rescue. He says, no, I'm waiting for God to rescue me. Waters rise. Guy dies, goes to heaven. Looks at God and says, why didn't you rescue me, bro? I sent you the evacuation notice. I sent you a boat. I sent you a helicopter, man. You rejected it all. Here's the deal. Look at verse 9 again. He says, having made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in himself, God has actually shown the entire world how to get to heaven. Okay? He's shown you. This is it. This is the way, the truth, and the life. Look at Jesus. Explore him. Double-click on him as many times as you can. And just get closer and closer, 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 closer. And you will find in him perfection through and through. You will find in him all things that he spoke to have come to pass. All offers of reconciliation to have become valid. Everything he has declared has checked out. It's up to you and me to believe it. We live in the dispensation. That's what it says right here in verse 10. We're not going to get there, but it says that in the dispensation of the fullness of the times, that's where we live. That is, God said, on purpose, I'm going to wait till everything's perfect, everything's right. I believe that, simply speaking, Jesus came on the scene when all roads led to Rome, therefore all leads led from Rome. And when Jesus came on the scene and saved the world, died on the cross, rose from the dead, when that happened, it was at the perfect time to perpetuate that message to the highways and to the byways, to the uttermost, to the guttermost. Every single person can hear the message of Jesus Christ, even more so now in 2016. He has revealed it to you. It's his good pleasure for you to hear this. It's how we receive it, how we respond, how we pursue it that determines how we receive what he has given to us. When I turned 16, uh, we had a birthday party at my house. We lived at uh, 650 Southeast 3rd, Fogarty Street there, right above the Bayfront. And had this little house. My parents put this party together for me, a 16-year-old. This is before the DMV changed the rules. So when you're 16 on your 16th birthday, you can actually get your driver's license and drive the same day. Go to jail the same day, you know what I'm saying? You can, you can. So I got my driver's license that morning, went back to my house, and I remember we had this party where we opened up presents, and I opened up all my presents, and the very last thing to open up was a birthday card from my parents. And I thought, okay, no present from my parents, it's a birthday card. Obviously, there's going to be a $100 bill in there, you know what I'm saying? Obviously, there's going to be some Franklins, you know, something in there. So I open it up, nothing. 
So I read the card. He's got to read the card. Read the card. Something flowery, something about being their son, happy birthday, whatever. And as I'm reading the card, I realized that at the bottom of the card, there was actually a poem of sorts. There was actually a riddle. There was actually a clue, and it dawned on me that I needed keys in order to fulfill this riddle. I had to get in my dad's car, drive down the bayfront, go over to the Embarcadero, go to boat slip number 29, find the rope there, pull the rope up, and as I pulled this crap pot up out of the water with all my friends, we all jammed down there as fast as we could. I'm driving the speed limit, for sure, for sure. Drive down, and I pulled up this crab pot. There was a jar in the crab pot with sealed shut, and there was another clue inside. I opened up the clue, and it led me to another destination across the bridge to the cemetery right over here in South Beach to a certain plot. Did you know there's a cemetery here in South Beach? Scary. Anyway, we went over there, and we found that. It led me then to a boat down here in South Beach into the head, which is the bathroom for boats, and into the head. There was another clue there that led me back over the bridge all the way to Subway, which is where I worked. Mark Watkins and I worked together there. He owned it at the time. At Subway, there's a party platter there and a cake and a card with a $100 bill. <laughs> right? Oh. Throughout my birthdays, my parents have given me money, I'm sure. I don't really remember. I do remember that time, though. Because of the way it rolled out, because of the pursuit, because of the process. And even to this day, age 37, I remember that birthday. And I remember the joy that was in my dad's heart in putting that together. And I began to think about it. I was like, whoa, no way. You mean to tell me that prior to this birthday, even knowing I would get my license and letting me drive his 1995 Nissan pickup truck, Letting me, he knew this was going to happen. And he knew I would read the card and I would get in the car with my friends and navigate down. He did all this for me. And he thought this in advance, and he put this little jar together in the bottom of the ocean. How cool is that? Look at verse 9. Having made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in himself. Paul, who ran so hard away from the grace of God. Paul, who tried to do it his own way found himself face-to-face with Jesus Christ on his own scavenger hunt, doing his own thing. And God's purpose was so rich towards Paul. He said, Paul, I'm not going to let you go. I'm not going to let you get away. I want you to know me. I want you to pursue me. It's my great pleasure to reveal my will to you, and not just you, and not just the Jews, and not just Ephesus, but South Beach Church. I want you to find me. I want you to pursue me. I want you to enjoy me. I want you to receive me like a father would want his kids to enjoy life. And the offer is for you and the offer is for me that we would pursue him today, that we would believe him, that we would trust in him, that we would expect him to, like Judy Burke, pour out and lavish upon us that which we do not deserve. It'll change you. I already asked that question, I'll ask it again. Have you been changed by God? Has he poured out enough blessings on you where you're a different person? I didn't say, have you done something and become a different person, okay? That's fine, too. That's 12 steps. That's fine. Do what you got to do, okay? Step. Do it. Get it. But has he done crazy stuff for you? (sighs) Crazy stuff. Riches beyond explanation, beyond deserving beyond expectation in my own life and beyond explanation. Why? To the praise of the glory of his grace. I'm going to ask you guys to bow your heads, close your eyes as we celebrate the table, what he's done for you, what he's done for me, the blood, the blood. And Father, in Jesus' name, as the team comes back up, as Lord, we consider as the table is set, as we consider, Lord, that your gift for us was 
premeditated. From the very beginning of the book, as Adam and Eve sinned and redemption was prophesied, and as we see it demonstrated throughout every portion of Scripture, Lord, even this morning, we ourselves are in need of redemption, in need of forgiveness, in need, Lord, of a reminder. The majority of us here this morning have been forgiven, have been redeemed. Yet, Lord, I wonder if we have forgotten the great riches that are in Christ. I wonder if we have found ourselves, Lord, becoming more pharisaical and legalistic, less joy-filled. I do believe the level of our joy is directly linked to the level of our understanding of your grace in our lives. If you're here today and you haven't received Christ's grace for forgiveness of sins, you haven't been born again, you haven't said yes to the Savior, you haven't taken that first clue which will lead you to the cross, which will lead you to the blood, then in your pursuit of forgiveness will lead you to Jesus. If you haven't done that yet, today's your day to say, yes, Jesus, you have revealed it to me. You have lavished and abounded grace in my life. And I need forgiveness. I am a sinner. I have both been born sinful and proven it through my actions. I need you to forgive me. Please, Jesus, be my savior. Be my king. Be my healer. Would you just raise your hand to the Lord if you haven't yet given your life to the Lord, but today's the day. Just do that in Jesus' name. I see hand going up. I see two hands going. Amen. I see hands going up. Praise you, Jesus. Jesus, we trust you. You are so good. This is your way. It's not our way. It's your way. We submit to it. And if you're here today and you are a Christian, but maybe you're just down in the dumps, you forgot, maybe your feelers are stronger than your believers, and you need your believers to grow today, would you just raise your hand today and say, I just need more faith. Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. Just, ah, help me, Jesus. Lavish more, more furniture, more dressings, more Walmart, more Albertsons, more carts full of the glory of God, the goodness of God. Lord, do it for us. May the spiritual blessings, Lord, abound in this house. My hand is up, Lord. Forgive me of my sins. Forgive me of my unbelief, Lord. May we walk closer to you. Thank you, Lord, for the blood that was shed, for the body that was broken, Lord. We do what we do, proclaiming your death until you come, examining ourselves, saying, yes, Jesus. May faith be born today. May salvation be ours. It's true. You declared it to be true, that if anyone would confess with their mouth and believe with their heart that Jesus Christ is God, they would be saved. It's done. And we believe with our hearts and we confess with our mouth that you indeed are God, that you're raised from the dead. We celebrate it today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Would you all stand with me? And when you're ready to take communion, the elements are ready. Come down the center aisles. Take the elements out the side aisles, back to your chairs. And there's people on my right and on my left to pray for you during this time. The tables are open.